have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This is a People of War podcast. Enjoy. Amen. How many of you truly believe in and want that to happen? Do you want God to reign in you? Do you want God to reign in this world? For, for some people that exist in this world, that's a frightful statement for God to have true reign or total reign, rather. But for us who are believers in Jesus Christ, and who obey our Father in heaven, to have God reign on this earth, to have God reign in our hearts, is a picture of what is to come. Uh, when we all get there, one day to live in eternity with him. On today, uh, we begin a new sermon series. On today, we begin a new sermon series. And this sermon series is going to be titled Strong, Courage Over Fear. Strong, Courage Over Fear. How many of us have experienced fear in our lives? My show of hands? Well, we got a lot of, we got a lot of uh, unafraid people in here. I know I've experienced fear in my life. Let me try that again, because I think some of you may not have a fear problem, but you might have a, a line problem. Um, so <laughs> let's try this. Let's try. It. How many of us in here have experienced fear? At some, all right. All right. Some point in our lives. OK, that's a little better. That's a little more realistic. I'm about to say the the horror movie genre would not be as successful if we didn't experience fear at some point in our life. Um, but what we're looking at is. The focus of this sermon series is going to be strength and courage over fear. And so we ask ourselves the question, what does it mean to be strong? What does it mean to be strong? Um, strength in our time has been misconstrued with our culture. And we have a version of strength in our culture that is very different from the strength that God has in God's culture. Um, God's version of strength is different. We call being a loner who gets things accomplished all by ourselves. We call that strength. We tell people that if you can lift heavy weights and carry a domineering physique, that's strength. We tell single parents that raise up children without the help of a spouse. We say, now that there, that's strength. We say that never complaining is the true definition of what it means to be strong. But I believe that we missed the mark in these definitions of strength that we have in our culture. I believe that having faith in God is strength. Having faith in God is strength. Uh, I believe that Augustine of Hippo gets right when he says that when God is our strength, it is strength indeed. When our strength is our own, it is only weakness. When you only have strength by yourself, it is not strength. But it is weakness. But when God is our strength, it is strength indeed. To be strong and courageous, one must wholeheartedly, one must wholeheartedly have faith in and rely on God. Today, I want you to let this sizzle on your spirit, as Country Wayne would say. Let this sizzle on your spirit and the fact that God has commissioned those whom he has chosen to proceed forth with his mission with strength, courage, and resoluteness. Again, God has commissioned those, he has commissioned those whom he has chosen to proceed forth with his mission with strength, courage, and resoluteness. What we are going to see in our text today is just that. We are going to see someone in the Bible today who has been chosen by God and who has been called to carry out God's mission in the face of very scary situations. And I believe that we can take this text today and apply it to many different scenarios in our life. 
Maybe you have been called to live out your faith in many different areas of your life. Maybe you are a single parent. And you're called to still, even though you're a single parent, you're called to live out a life of faith that is strong and that is courageous and that is resolute. Maybe you're a person that has a terminal illness and you don't have much time on this earth. And God has still called you to live a life that is full of strength, full of courage, and that is resolute. Maybe you are within a culture, existing in a culture where your specific political party is not the one who is in power. And yet God has still called you to live in strength, in courage, and to be resolute. Maybe it is the fact that your church is transformed. And God has still called you to a life that is strong, courageous, and resolute. How can you be strong and have courage over fear? I believe that we would do well to pray in in conjunction with the mission of God as Philip Banks, this is the actual person, Philip Brooks, rather, states so eloquently. He says, Oh Lord, I do not pray for my task to equal my strength. I ask for my strength to equal my task. I do not pray for my task equal. I pray, do not pray for tasks equal to my strength. I ask for strength equal to my task. Most of us would like for God to give us the easy route. Most of us would like for God to just keep things as they are. But sometimes, sometimes we're called to do some scary things. And God tells us when we go into uncharted territory to be strong and courageous. Turn your Bibles with me to Joshua chapter one. That's Old Testament. Or tap your Bibles, right? Some of us are using digital versions of a Bible. Joshua chapter 1. Sixth book. Right after the Pentateuch, right? And as we look at this, in context, we're reading a historical account of the people of Israel and their progression toward the land that was promised by God. And what we're reading is taking place right after the death of Moses, right? Moses has died and God has commanded Moses before he had died to select the successor. And we know that the lot fell on Joshua. Joshua is the one who is to be chosen. And in the name of Joshua, we kind of get a feel for what this book is about. You see, all you see in the Bible with these biblical characters, we see that their name usually describes their character or what they're going through or or who they are, right? Um, and when we look at the name Joshua, the, the name Joshua means God saves or God delivers. And so all throughout the book of Joshua, you're going to see him going into the leadership as the people, uh, the leader of the people of Israel or the Israelites. We're going to see God delivering those people while he is playing the role of a leader. And they're about to enter into this territory that belongs to them, right? And it belongs to them because it was promised to them all very so long ago by, uh, through Abraham. Do y'all remember when Abraham had faith and God told him, I want you to leave the land that you know. I want you to leave the people you know. I want you to leave everything that you're familiar with. And I want you to go to a land that I will show you. And Abraham said, yes. And then because Abraham said that, God said, I'm going to bless you in many ways. He said, I'm going to cause your seed to be as numerous as the stars, your descendants. Your descendants will bless the earth and I will give you a land. And here we see the progression of that promise made to Abraham, that his descendants would inherit this land and that the people who are present in the land, their lease is up. And what is for the people of God is for the people of God. If God has said this is for you, then it's for you. And so they inherit this land and they move closer to the fruition of this total and complete reign of God in his kingdom. But this generation of Israelites must first learn how to deal with scary things. They must first learn how to deal with this scary territory, which is theirs, but they need to go in and claim it through faith, strength courage 
and resoluteness. Everybody there, Joshua chapter 1, verse number 1. We're going to read the text in its entirety first. The Bible says in Joshua chapter 1, verse number 1, after the death of Moses, can we say death? After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. Can we say arise? That's an action word right there, right? That's an action word, arise. Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am given to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. Can we say given? All that we have, all that we think we may have earned, God has given to us. Just as I promised to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. I'm going to read that again. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong. Can we say strong? Can we say courageous? Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Can we say law? Hopefully none of us broke the law driving up here today. <laughs> shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Can we say prosperous? And then you will have good success. Last verse, verse number nine. Have I not commanded you? Can we say command? If God gives a command, we should probably listen to it, right? He gives a command and he says, be strong and courageous. Third time he said this in this text, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Amen. I want to look at something as we begin here in this text. This beginning portion of verses or chapter one, verses one and two. It speaks about something that is very important to this message. As we look at the people of God, the people of God have a long history. As I stated before, they began with Abraham. Abraham had the propensity, the, the intentional uh, faith where he said, God, I know that what you're saying to me is true. And because I know that it's true, even though I can't see it, I can't touch it. I can't taste it. I know that you're going to give to me what you said you're going to give to me. I know that there's going to be a land for me because of that faith of Abraham. That faith, that belief in that which is not tangible. It begins the heritage which we know of as the Israelites. And with this Israelite people, we have a nation that was set apart for the purposes of God. So that they could bless the whole world so that the whole world would be able to see the glory of God and to see that God wants to be in relationship with every human being everywhere in all time. And we and, and it's kind of cheating for us. You know, it's hard for us sometimes because we know the ending to the story. We know that God is going to win. We know that God puts on flesh and is born through the lineage of Abraham. We know all of that. But I need you to take your minds and for this moment today, as we're in worship today, as we're hearing this story um, in the Bible, I want you to take your minds to where they are. They don't know how the story is going to end. They don't know. All they know is that there was this guy named Moses who mother put him into a basket, who was then picked out by the princess 
uh, the daughter of the Pharaoh who grew up inside the house with royalty, who was not his people, who would then come back to save all people from Egypt, take them across the Red Sea and see all this miraculous things happen. Moses has taken a whole generation of people through the wilderness and helped them to get to where they needed to be. And all they know now is that Moses is dead. And someone else has taken over. And so these people who have grew up seeing this leader, Moses, as the one who speaks to God on their behalf, he is the intermediary for them. He's gone. But I need you to see in this text, church, that even though this man of God is gone, the mission is still the same. The mission doesn't change. God's people still have to be God's people. Even though they're not in Egypt, even though they're not wandering in the wilderness, eating manna and quail sometimes, God's people still have to be God's people. And so that's how this text begins in Joshua. Joshua here in verse number one, the Bible says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses's assistant, he's speaking to them. God speaks to him. In verse two, he says, Moses, he's speaking to Joshua, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. God speaks to Joshua and tells him information that Joshua already knows. The people of Israel have celebrated, not celebrated, I guess celebrated and recognized the death of Moses now for 30 days. It's no secret to them that Moses is dead. So why does God do such a thing? Why does God bring up something that is probably a downer? And what I believe as I read this text is, is that God is letting Joshua know that he plans to do something with Joshua that he did with Moses. He plans to be with him like he was with Moses. What began with the faith of a man by the name of Abraham is God's mission to reclaim all of humanity. To himself, through faith, he is going to work through these people of faith in spite of themselves. The same way that God works with us in spite of us today. We do all kinds of crazy nonsense, and yet God continues to use us over and over and over again. And what's going to happen is he is going to defeat that which they cannot defeat for themselves. They don't have the means of being soldiers. They don't have the means of going into a land and conquering a foreign people. But God is going to be for them what they cannot be themselves. For Joshua and the Israelite, the problem is nations and lands. But for us today, the problem is sin. A lot of us in here have sin problems we struggle with daily. We go to God and we pray about these things that we're ashamed of doing. And only God and us know about the things that we do in our time when no eyes are looking and no ears can hear what we're saying. But we go to God and we pray about these things that we can't overcome by ourselves. And here we see the children of Israel are dealing with the same thing. And Joshua, this man who has been thrust into leadership, is dealing with the same thing. God, I have to go into these lands where people have armies with these people who have only been wandering and complaining in the wilderness. For years upon years. God has promised this Israelite people that they are going to have to accomplish some things in order to possess what he has given them. They are going to have to do some things in order to accomplish what God has for them. Do you hear this church? In order for you to be able to overcome the sin which besets you. The thing that causes you to struggle and stay up late at night worrying about. You're going to have to do some things as well. And you're going to have to meet God where he is. Amen. So he tells Joshua. I want you to arise with the people and go. There's not much difference to what Abraham was called to do and what Christians are called to do. We are people of action. We are called to get up and go. We're not called to just assemble in this building on Sundays and Wednesdays, but we are called to get up and go. And it does not matter the circumstances of the mission. The mission always is the same. It's God's mission. 
And it's time for the people of God to inherit a land that God has for them. And this land is not solely for their prospering, but it's for the prospering of God's mission. Now, if we are obedient to God within his mission for the world, we will prosper too. Amen. Does that make sense? I'm starting off slow and I'm teaching first before I get into the meat of this thing. Now, the prospering is inclusive of that. It matters not what is happening on this earth. God's mission is to save humanity. It's still the same. We are conduits of the blessings of God. Does that make sense? Do we know what conduits mean? We're carrying. We are carrying the mission of God. We are carrying the blessings of God to the world. That happens through Christians. That happens to those who believe on Christ. Amen. We are conduits. We take that to the world. Right. We are conduits, but we are not Caesar. We are not kings. We don't get to make our own mission and then say, God, come into what I'm doing. The mission is still the same today. Though our circumstances may change, though our leaders will one day pass on, though people may leave, the mission is the mission. God's mission is according to his will. And not our own. You don't see not once in this text where Joshua says, but why don't you kill all those people so we don't have to go through any changes? Why don't you make it easy for us, God? God's mission is God's mission. And so we see God here, he speaks these words to Joshua. He speaks to a leader who has come into his own. And so God He is intelligent in what he does. How many of you in here believe that God is smart? I believe that God is smart, right? God is intelligent. And so what God does is he says, I'm going to make some promises to Joshua. Here's what I'm going to tell you, Joshua. He says, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, it's been given to you. Just as I promised to Moses, the same promise that I made to the person who had enough faith in me to lead people to where I want them to be, that's going to apply to you too. My spirit is upon him as it was, it will be upon you. And church, we have to realize as Christians, we are spirit-filled people. And so the same thing that these leaders in the Old Testament were able to do in accomplishing tasks that were beyond themselves, we too can. God lets Joshua know that everywhere you step is a place that I have given. God uses the words of Moses here from Deuteronomy. Look at this. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse number 24. Moses said the same thing. Moses says, every place on which the Soviet foot treads shall be yours. Your territory shall be from the wilderness to the Lebanon, from the river to the river Euphrates to the western seas. God, Moses had already said this to the Israelites. And God uses the same words that Moses spoke. And that he probably spoke to Moses to reassure him nothing is changing. The same way that I was with Moses, I'm with you. The same way that I was with Abraham, I'm with you. The same way that I was with all of the people that I have chosen to put my spirit upon, church, Avenue G, Church of Christ, I'm with you. Does that make sense? And so these words, they're familiar to Joshua. And God, he saw Abraham, he saw Isaac, he saw Jacob, he saw Moses throughout their ministries. And now he's about to bless Joshua in his young ministry and leadership. And he has some promises to me. When Adam and Eve, they defiled the land that God had created for them. Do y'all remember the name of that garden? What's the name of that garden? The Garden of Eden. God had created a specific place, a specific land. Where he was supposed to reign and the people were supposed to obey. Do y'all remember that? He made this place specifically for the fact that he would dwell in the land and his people would be there with him. And that is how it was always supposed to be. But what happened? It was that woman God gave him, right? Sin happened. Sin was the problem. Eve gave in to the serpent and his devices. Adam gave in to that woman that God gave him. They both sinned. And the land was ruined. 
And so Adam and Eve were kicked out of the land in which God once ruled and now was ruled by humanity and creation. See, humanity chose to worship creation instead of God. And that made the land that God used to inhabit inhabit not be God's land anymore. It had been changed. And so the next time we see that God dwells with his people, God dwells in a tent. And God then dwells in a temple. And as you see the the decorations as they are explained in the Holy of Holies, they have all of these decorations that resemble plant life and fruit. And they're reminiscent of the Garden of Eden. And through the whole time, God is whispering through scripture, I want my people to be with me in a land. I want don't, don't miss this, please, church. I need you to get this land. This land where God reigns, this land, this place where God has total reign has always been a concept that God has pushed on his people. He's been putting it in front of their face, showing them, I want you to inhabit a place where I reign. And so in the temple, even in the the, the tent of meeting, there was these decorations that was reminiscent of the Garden of Eden. God has always wanted to dwell with his people. God has always been telling us in the background, whispering to us, as it were. One day you're going to exist in a place where I have total reign. And it will be what it was supposed to be in creation. But now he speaks to them. He speaks to them in very faint language with a very faint voice. And here God tells them. That wherever they step, it's going to be theirs. Look at Joshua 1, 4 again. From the wilderness to the Lebanon, to the great river, to the Euphrates, all the land, the Hittites, to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. God here, he paints the boundaries. You have the desert in the south. You have the Lebanon in the north. You have the Euphrates in the east. You have the great sea, which is the Mediterranean in the west. God sets and promises these boundaries. And the question for the young leader like Joshua would not have been about the size of the land, but he's got to be asking himself, can this even be conquered? God, this is a big territory. Is it possible for this to be conquered? God, am I capable of doing this great task with these people? And the church today is asking itself the the same question. It's saying, God, I believe that you are God, but there's a great task before me. Can we really do what it is that you are calling us to do? We look at the landscape and we ask ourselves, well, you know what? The, the, The LGBTQ plus community, they're very powerful. They have power and they've gained privilege in a shorter amount of time than it took people who were actually born a certain way. Can we really can we really conquer this land, God? Can we really touch the lives of people to see you? Can we really win this battle? The church statistically is dying. Literally, people are dying off. God, is it really possible to conquer this land? Is it really possible to bridge age gaps, to to bridge the the gaps between race? Is it is it possible to get rid of harmful traditionalism? Can we really do it, God? Our children and parents, we believe that the only path to success is through great amounts of money in athletics. Can we really still reach our children, God? This seems like a great task. Can we really fight this fight? God has something to say on the matter. And God has said, you have the victory. But I need you to get up and go. I need you to put forth action. And God has something to say. He says, Victory is yours. It's a surety. All the what ifs are taken care of and the adversary is powerless. Let's see what God says to Joshua. Though He continues in verse number five. He says, here's the land that I'm going to give you. Now, I want you to also know that when you go into these lands, there are going to be people in the lands. And what God says to Joshua is, is that no man is going to be able to stand before you. People are going to try, but they won't stand for long. He says, not just for a month, 
not just for a year, not just for a decade, but he says people are going to try to stand against you all the days of your life. But God says, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Here we see Yahweh tells Joshua that no one will be able to stand. And I want you to pay attention to the person that Joshua is. Joshua is the same person who in Numbers 13 was sent out to spy the land. And him and Caleb came back and said, we can do this. We can do this. Everybody else is talking about, oh, there's giants in the land. There's a lot of nice things in the land, but there's giants. There's people here that I don't think we can defeat, God. But Joshua was in the number of people who had the courage to go into a land. But still, catch this church, this same person who had courage then is having to be reminded that they need courage again. I don't want you to feel bad because you are who you used to be. Become it again. Be that person that you used to be with God. God has to reassure and promise him that no one will be able to stand against him. God understands what may be present in the heart of Joshua. And I can imagine Joshua saying within himself, do we really want to do this again? We already did this, God. We already went into this land that was uncharted, that had people in it that were dangerous. Do we really want to do this again? Can we even do this again? Again, God says to him, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. And here God reassures Joshua that no human enemy can stand up against him. Where the presence of God is, there is power, there is victory. And so God promises to be with those that he has chosen. And every Christian can rest assured that they have been chosen. And not just chosen, but bought with the price of the blood of Jesus. God values you because you chose him. God values you. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2, 9, but you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Do you realize, do you understand who you are? I know that we take in things from external sources, from other people that tell us who we are. We're judgmental. Right? We judge people based on how they want to live and love. We're not good enough. We're not smart enough. These are the things we hear from other people. And that's, that pales in comparison to the things that we say to and about ourselves. But God says you're chosen. God says you are a priesthood. God says you're a holy nation. God says you are a people that belong to him. Do you believe it? The Bible also says that we were bought with the price. And because of that fact, we should glorify God in our bodies. If God has made specific promises to you and values you, what is stopping you from moving forward? If God values you and has made promises to you that you, he has victory and you do too, what's stopping you from moving forward? You are a Christian. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. You are of the lineage of a promised people. So what's stopping you from moving forward? The fear that you come to and you stop. Why? When you know who you are and whose you are. God continues to speak to Joshua. And here's where it gets good, y'all. Here's where it gets good. I've done my teaching. Now it's time to do some preaching. Here's where it gets good. God then says, you have this, but in order for you to possess this, I need for you to be strong. The Bible says in verse number six, be strong and what? Be strong and what? He tells Joshua that he must become strong and courageous. These words are similar when you see them in Hebrew. It looks like he's saying be, become strong and strong, right? They're similar. And what we are about to see is a literary term called inclusio, right? Uh, what they would do is they would uh, write certain things, and it was like a sandwich, right? Anybody like a good sandwich? Most of the times when I make a sandwich, I don't spend a lot of money on bread, right? There's some bread that's good. Sarah, Sarah Lee bread is pretty good, but most time I just get the Hill Country Fair. 
And so the bread is important in the sandwich, but it's really about the stuff that's on the inside, right? And so when I make a sandwich, I get the Hill Country Fair, Hill Country Fair. And since, um, since I have taste, I use Miracle Whip, right? And that sweet, tangy spread, you put it on the bread. That's the first layer of the good stuff that goes on the inside. And you get you some good old smoked Gouda cheese. And you put that on there. You might slap on some lettuce, maybe a good old juicy tomato. And then you go to H-E-B and you get some of that fried chicken. All right? They got, they got fried chicken. They also have fried turkey. You get it sliced to look all nice. And you layer that on. And then you add some more cheese. And then you get some Layton's pickles and you put them on there. And you get that other piece of bread. And you don't just put Miracle Whip on one side of the bread. If you have class, you put it on both sides. And then you put that sandwich together. And so what we're about to see between verses 6 through 9 is a sandwich. 6 and 9, they're still important. They're pieces of bread. They have some Miracle Whip on them. But what really... The good stuff is going to show up in verses 7 through 8. Okay? This was a writing style that they used in Inclusio. Um, and so what it does is it pretty much says the same thing in 6 and 9 so that you can focus on what's in between those. It's almost like a chiasm, but it's different. All right. You can Google those words in, after service. Inclusio and chiasm. Ask, ask Sophia and Hannah. They were my interpreting the Bible class. All right. So... Verses 6 through 9, they're going to be the bread of it, right? Um, in verse number 6, there is a verb that's used that states that one must become strong and courageous. There's two verbs, become strong, become courageous. Now, the word that they use for courage or courageous also stands for resoluteness, which means do not waver, do not fall to pieces. Amen? Some of us, when life hits us in the mouth, we fall to pieces. And God is telling us, I want you to have strength and I want you to be able to not fall to pieces. We don't fall to pieces because we know that we serve a God who can create from nothing. And so that if something does tear us into pieces, our God can fix us back up. Amen. And so we have strength and we have courage. And so when we look at this, God wants us to be both firm or strong and not fall to pieces in the face of adversity. In verse number seven, we're going to see he asks us to be courageous in our English text, but it's standing for not falling to pieces. Now, there are many people who wear the name that speaks to the world that God saves and God delivers, but we don't really believe. There are many people who wear the name of Christian. And we say that God will save you. and We say that God will redeem you. But we don't really live it out. We need to be strong and courageous, church. I need for you, for you, I need for all of us to not be ruled by fear. Some of us allow fear to control our life. Some of us, when we don't understand something, we fear it. When we don't understand something, we fear it. Fear calls us to write off other congregations because they worship differently than us. Fear of being hurt will cause you to miss out on the opportunity to love. Fear of rejection will cause you to miss an opportunity to spread the gospel. Well, I'm scared they might say no. So I'm not going to talk to them about Jesus. We will be strong in many areas of our lives, but we have many issues that we in which we deal in fear. And God is calling us to be strong, courageous, and resolute. And I believe that we would do well to understand that courage is not the absence of fear. Courage doesn't mean fear goes away. Courage is the willingness, though, to stand up and endure against that which is difficult. I believe that John Calvin says it pretty well here. He says, there can be no courage in men unless God supports them by his word. There can be no courage in men unless God supports them by his word. Again, in verse number six, Yahweh God is speaking to Joshua and he says, be strong and courageous for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. We as Christians, we have to rely on God in the face of that which we fear or dread. 
we must be people of faith. We must trust that God has chosen right. God chose you because you chose him. Trust that God is right with who he has chosen, with who he has called. He set out to do a great thing through Abraham so long ago. And now God gets to the meat of the sandwich. Look at the meat here. Here goes that fried turkey that's sliced up. And here goes that smoked gouda. Verse number seven. The Bible says, only be strong and very courageous. Only be strong and very courageous. A lot of us will go into a situation with fear and and we'll overdo it. We'll say, just to show that I'm not afraid, I'm going to go in here and act crazy. Get crunk, as we used to say. I'm going to meet my fear with ignorance and chaos. So I'm going to put down my religion so I can face this fear. He's specific with Joshua. He says, only be strong and very courageous. Only be strong and very courageous. Then he says, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you to do. I need you to understand that when we read law here, it's not how we see law. We think of law and we, we think of speed limit. We think of law and we think of not stealing. Well, that's part of God's law. But what the word here in Hebrew is, is Torah. Can we say Torah? This word simply means instruction. God has given us instruction. Did y'all know that? God has given us instruction on how we are to live our lives. And so he says, this is how you are to be strong and courageous. Pay attention to the instruction I gave you. The same instruction that I gave to Moses is still good for you today, Joshua. The same instruction that I gave to Joshua is still good for the Avenue G Church of Christ today. It's still good. If you believe that God is smart, if you believe that God has your best interest in mind, the instruction that he gives you still matters. And he tells him, don't go to the right, don't go to the left. Just follow my instructions. God is saying, I got you. He's thrown us an alley-oop. Man, Miami is looking bad. Uh, he's, he's, he's giving us all the instruction. Are we going to obey it? Look at what God does. God gives this instruction to Moses. And we look at this and we say, you know what, God, what you're saying to these people is antiquated. But is it really? Is what God has given. Look at the Ten Commandments here. You may look at this and say, well, this doesn't apply today. He starts off and says, you shall have no other gods before me. Does that still apply to today? Is that still relevant today? I believe that it is. You don't make anything of God. I don't care how bad your wife is. I don't care how how much, how many packs your husband has. It does not matter. You don't make something else your God. I don't care how fast your car drives. I don't care how nice your house is. Some of us, some of us without even knowing, we worship our homes. Some of us without, without knowing worship our money. And we have put another God before God. Still relevant today. How about thou shalt not make uh, unto thee any graven images? Don't apply the qualities of something that is created to God. God is in a category all his own. He doesn't fit into our category. God doesn't even have to exist in time. What about this thing taking the name of the Lord in vain? Well, I don't. I don't usually perceive my cuss words with God. Well, it's bigger than that. Right? Don't use God. And you see this all too much in churches today where they say, you know what? If you give $20, there's a blessing waiting for you. If you give 50, the blessing is even greater. If you give 100, I'll let you touch my plane. Right? All in the name of God. Using the name of the Lord in vain. It's not just about that Using his name before the curse word, right? What about remembering the Sabbath day and keeping it holy? It's still relevant today. You see, in their time, they would keep the Sabbath. And the word in Hebrew for Sabbath, Shabbat, literally means to stop. Stop for a moment and see that God still keeps this thing moving. God keeps, he he keeps the world spinning. He keeps the cows grazing. He keeps the money still flowing in the bank. 
without you doing anything. Did you know that if you just stop, God still takes care of things? And so what that allows you to understand is, is that God's got it. And sometimes we need to be reminded of that because we get to going and going so much and doing so much and becoming so busy in life that we think that we're making the wheel spin when it's really God. And you need a day to where you recognize God and where you make it holy and where you observe what God is actually doing. Instead of us doing that on the Sabbath, the seventh day, we do that on Sunday. We stop. We recognize, you know what? God's got this. Let's make this a holy day, right? What about honoring the father and the mother? Is that still relevant today? God's instruction is still relevant today in that regard. Do they make you mad sometimes, children? Do your parents make you mad? Yes. They make you mad. And you go in your room and you grab the door and you do like this. And before it hits it, you push it softly closed. Because <laughs> you're upset about what they said to you and what they won't let you do. But we still must honor father and mother. Amen. God tells us in the sixth commandment that he still values life. That's life unborn and life that has been born. God values life. We, we get into these debates. We see this in the Christian world. Well, it matters about the unborn life. But if they come out the womb beyond the border, I don't know. I don't know about that life. <laughs> we get into these debates. God just cares about life. God cares about the covenant that you make with your spouse. I believe that we see throughout scripture that God cares about you use words to make a promise. You keep your words. You keep your covenant. That matters to God. God cares about stealing. You need to value what other people have. Right? Don't come tracking mud into oh, that's about mud. Value other people's possessions. Don't take what is not yours. God cares about that. Still, that's good instruction. Don't steal. We look at verse number nine. Don't bear false witness. Don't say something about me that's not true. You destroy my character with your words. God cares about how we speak about each other. Did y'all know that? That's good instruction. That's good instruction for society. That's good manners. God created manners before manners were manners. Right? Don't covet. Boy, Brother Rose sure got some nice looking suspenders on. <laughs> I want those suspenders, right? Trying to keep up with the Joneses, right? God cares about how you think about the Joneses. Be content with what you have. Amen. These are good instructions that God has given at this point in time. The God says, be strong, be courageous, be careful to do all the law that Moses commanded, Moses, my servant, was commanded to do. Do not turn from the left. Do not turn to the right. God says, stick with what I have for you. God calls Joshua to observe that those who are strong, they obey his law. Those who are strong, they obey his law. They do not deviate from it. God then says that if we are obedient to that which he commands and instructs, we will be strong. How can a church know what God instructs? How, how, do, how can we know what God instructs? Church, it's hard to know what God wants, and what God instructs, if we only give him an hour each week. Now, I, I didn't. Well, no, I meant to step on your toes. I'll tell the truth. If you only give God an hour a week. It's hard to know what it is that he has for you. God says it matters not if it is the enemy in the territory or if it is friendly territory. We must know what God instructs us to do. And sometimes God is going to call us to do something that we don't necessarily agree with. Well, God, there's a lot of people who are foreign in this land. I need to take my AK, which is my mouth. And use it to hurt people so that I can accomplish your will. God calls us to something greater. He says, I want you to obey my word. 
Obey my word. Don't deviate from it. And he says in verse number eight. This book of the law, this book of instruction. Shall not depart from your mouth. You shall not. You shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will make or will have good success. More of this good stuff in this sandwich is exposed here in verse number eight. God says that this book of instruction should not depart from your mouth. It should not depart from your mouth. This is what God says. Don't let his instruction depart from your mouth. And we missed this in English. And I don't know why King James and his translators missed it. Other translators missed this. But this word meditate here doesn't mean what we think it means. This word here in the Hebrew applies to what doves do when they coo, right? Right? Or it applies to what lions do as they growl. They do this thing over and over. And he's saying here to him, God is saying this to Joshua, I need you to utter my words, ponder on them, right? Chew on my words, right? Say them out loud, read them over and over, meditate on them. Allow them to process within you. You know, a lot of times when we read the word of God, we're doing it for one or two reasons. We want to be smarter or we want to prove that somebody else is wrong. Nobody else. All right. Amen. It's hard. It's, sometimes it's hard to open up the word of God and not read it so that you can teach somebody else about what you just read. But here God is saying, take my word. And I want you to growl and coo and just repeat the words that are present. There. Just just repeat them. Don't read so that you can get to the end. But read so that it becomes a part of who you are. A lion doesn't coo. And a dove doesn't growl. But just meditate on this word and allow it to be a thing that you say over and over and over again until it becomes a part of who you are. I don't know how they got meditate. Maybe, well, I guess maybe it is applied to meditation. But they probably should have said growl on the word of God. Like a lion does. Over and over. And, I, and, and I, I thought about this as I have been reading. I, I opened the Bible app. They've improved the Bible app so much. And when you open the Bible app, they have the scripture of the day. And then they have these prayers that are guided in video form. And it is amazing what they've done with this thing. It allows you to do just what they're talking about here. And I thought about Psalm 133. And how we reread this on Sundays. And you read this and behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity and you just you meditate on God's word. God, what does what is good? Really? Who is good? What is pleasant? What does it mean to dwell in unity, God? Am I dwelling in unity? Are the people around me actually unified with me? How can we become unified? How can we dwell together? Are we really dwelling together? Or are we just putting on a show? You, you continue looking at this passage and you, you, you read the words that unity is like precious oil. When brothers dwell in unity, it's like precious oil, y'all. I don't know if any of y'all deal with precious oil, but sometimes I put oil on my beard. Beard gets dry. Skin gets really dry in these beards, right? And so you put oil on there. And when you put oil on you, have you ever put too much on your face? I remember one time I used some coconut oil and I put it on top of my head. And what you what you what you realize about coconut oil is that when you go outside, coconut oil is gonna melt. And so I'm like, man, it smells good. But then I got oil just coming, you know. But when oil runs, it doesn't skip any parts. It covers the whole thing. And so as I read Psalm 133. I'm picturing in my mind oil covering the whole body of Aaron as it flows from the top of his head down on his beard. And this unity that exists between people, God's people, it covers the whole body. It doesn't skip a person. When there's true unity present, 
It doesn't skip anyone and it covers the whole body. And when they would pour the oil on the priests in their time, it was to sanctify them, make them holy. And church, I need you to understand that when we dwell in unity, we are holy to God, right? It's precious to God. It runs down the beard as it did on Aaron's beard, who was a priest. Uh, it runs down the collar of his robes. Right. And he's made special. And then he describes it as the dew of Hermon. Right. And you say, I know what dew is. Right. It's on a mountain and it comes in a green bottle. Right. No. <laughs> dew is the stuff, the, the wet stuff that's on the ground. Right. Um. You think about this. He's writing to a people who are very engaged in agriculture, right? And so when they had dew on the ground, that's a happy thing. And he says, when brothers dwell in unity, it's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. And those mountains feed a river called the Jordan, right? And it's a good sign. It's a good thing. And God blesses unity. And where there is unity, God will bless it, right? He ends by saying, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing. And you meditate on that. God didn't just suggest it. God didn't just mention it. But God commanded the blessing for where there is unity among brethren. Among all people. God has commanded a blessing. of Life forevermore. Y'all, we need to cool growl on the word every chance we get. Because it's more than just being right about a particular subject. It's about letting the word of God be infused into who you are. He says, Joshua, if you're going to be strong, if you're going to be courageous, if you're going to be unshakable, I need for you to meditate and dwell on my word. God cares that we grasp his word. It must penetrate our hearts and become a part of who we are. And then he says this. He, he's finished the meat portion of the sandwich and he ends the sandwich by saying, have I not commanded you? Have I not told you? Have I not given you a direct command? He says it for a third time. Be strong. Be courageous. I don't need people who are going to cower when it's time for right to be done. I don't need for people to lose their cool. You are too valuable. Do not be frightened, God says. And do not be dismayed for the Lord, your God, Yahweh Elohim, is with you wherever you go. Remember what he said? Wherever the sole of your feet touch, that's yours. He's telling Joshua, you're invincible. Yeah. Now we find out, we're going to find out later when we read about AI. When you, when you deviate from the word, you're not so invincible. Joshua's okay. But Akon, on the other hand, was not. And his family. All right. But he's telling him, you're invincible. Now, I would venture to say this. Now, somebody may take this clip and, and run with it. But if you're a Christian, you're invincible. If you're a Christian, you're invincible. There is nothing that can hurt you in this world. There's nothing that can destroy you in this world. Your, your body will die. You live forever. You are with God who has the victory. This life is nothing but a speck of what eternity is. You may live for 70 years. if You don't eat like me. Right? You may live what we consider to be a long life. But that's just a speck on eternity. I heard this story. This guy was talking about someone in California grabbing a grain of sand. He grabs a grain of sand. He picks it up in California and he walks it all the way to New York City. And he drops it off. And he walks back all the way to California and he continues to walk back and forth, grabbing one grain of sand each time until he's transferred all the sand in California 
to the East Coast. That'd take a long time, right? That's just a small portion of what eternity is. And as Christians, we have an eternity with the Father. And so whether it is that you're facing a test, whether you have a job interview that you're unsure of, whether you're in a shaky marriage, whether your boyfriend or girlfriend just cheated on you, your health is failing, I need you to understand that we as Christians we need to be strong and courageous. If God is with us, why are we fearing? If God is with us, why are we fearing? Will you be strong and courageous today? That's my challenge to you. Are you going to be strong and courageous? A lot of us in here are going to have to walk into territory that is unknown to us, that is foreign to us. And we're going to have to say, God, I know that you are with Brother Roe. I know that you are with Brother Anthony. I know you'll be with me. I know that you were with Abraham. I know that you were with Moses. I saw what you did in my parents. God, I know you'll be with me. You told me that I have victory. You told me that I'm more than a conqueror. You told me that I'm a part of a chosen people, a royal priesthood. And if that be the case, God, I'm going to take you on your word. And I want to be strong and courageous in all that I do. Does that mean that fear will be present? Yeah, fear is going to be present. But I face that fear with faith in God. And it builds me up, and it is the glue that keeps me from falling into pieces, falling apart into pieces. Will you be strong and courageous today? Today, there's someone right now thinking, you know, I don't think that I'm where I'm supposed to be with God. I want to be in relationship with him so that I can be in the land that God has promised for all his people, the place where he will have total reign. I have one question for you. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God? Do you believe that Jesus came from the majesty of heaven, put on this flesh, hung, bled and died on the cross because of our sins, was buried into buried in the bar man's tomb? And that he rose from the dead. Do you believe that? If you believe that, I want you to know that you you need to do something. It's not enough for you to get to the Jordan River and just stand there. He asked Joshua, take these people from this land that I brought you to. And I need for y'all to go through the Jordan River. And when they get to the river, God doesn't say, okay, I'll do the rest. You need to repent of your sins. That means that you need to reorient your life and change it to where it's in line with where God wants you to be. And where God wants you to go. You have to get up. You have to arise. You have to go. You believe you've repented of your sins. You have said, I want to live differently than what I've been living. Will you confess the name of Jesus as Lord? Will you confess that Jesus Christ is the son of God? Will you pledge your allegiance to him as you prepare to cross through the Jordan? And as God asks his people so often in the scripture, he asked the people as they leave with Moses, I need you to cross through the Red Sea. He asked Joshua as they begin to enter into the promised land to pass through the Jordan. And God is asking today, I need you to pass through the watery grave of baptism. I need you to go through the water to meet what I have for you. And what God has for you is the remission of sins. That means that you may have sinned in your past. But when you go through the water, when you meet the blood of Jesus, all sin is remitted. That means what you have done that you are actually guilty for. God is no longer holding you accountable. Peter tells them on the day of Pentecost when they hear the message of Jesus, when they asked him, Peter, what shall we do? He says, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. Will you do so today? Will you do so today as we sing the song of invitation? We are the family of God, striving to be everything we are, people of more, ready to receive our King blessing, oh, oh, yeah.